0: And so he comes back to us and says, guys, I know we have to do this. And, and, and knowing is actually is the evolution of believing. And you and I know when we've had an experience, I, I know I have to do this. We've gone beyond believing. Believing helps us get to knowing. right? And this is a very important point for every leader is to move beyond thinking and feeling to believing and knowing.
1: Hello, and welcome to Outer Spaces, a podcast dedicated to empowering designers and contractors in the outdoor living space. Through this show, I hope to create a powerful resource for you, someone who is trying to grow their company, but might not have all the tools and processes to do so. On Outer Spaces, we're passionate about breaking the chains of small mindsets and helping contractors just like you take control of their businesses and their lives. My name is Joshua Gillow, and through my 25 years of dirt under the nails experience, I look forward to sharing tips, strategies, and other contractor success stories here on the Outer Spaces podcast. Now, let's get on with the show. Welcome back to the Outer Spaces Podcast. Today, we have a deep conversation with uh, a gentleman here. His name is Ramon Newman. He was uh, a crazy athlete, turned monk, turned actor, and now he teaches CEOs how to be more mindful when they're running their business, making big decisions, going from thinking and feeling to believing and knowing. Think how powerful that could be as business owners and as uh, influencers in this world. Going from a think and feel model to a believe and know. He talks a lot about exactly how to do that and how he's how his life's been changed by working inside first and have that ex, you know become something outside. So there's tons of great information in this episode. It goes deep into you know what meditation can do for you and even how to get started with that because I know it sounds like a crazy topic. I struggle with years for it with it and then next thing you know started doing it, changed everything. So guys, listen in. This episode will change your life. Hello, welcome back to the Outer Spaces Podcast. This is your host, Joshua Gillow, And today, my guest is a co-author of The Science of Protection, making high-pressure, impactful leadership decisions that protect you and everyone. He's a former top three nationally ranked track athlete, two-time national cross-country team winner, four-time state champion, running rugby player, winning rugby player. I'm tongue-tied today. Uh, he's an entrepreneur, 10-year full-time meditating monk. He's a trained actor and philanthropist for peace projects and youth education, and he's graduated from the University of Auckland, New Zealand, one of my favorite places on earth, and a Bachelor of Commerce and Marketing. He's engaged in acting uh, training in New York City since 2007-2008 during the uh, global financial crisis, and he realized a calling to help and protect and enhance leaders' achievement progress and fulfillment through deeper inner development of their leadership capacity and awareness. Uh, This helps him make the best decisions, which protects the interests and success of everyone. This has become his passion of of his life's purpose. So Ramon Newman, welcome to the show. Thank
0: you so much, Joshua. Great to be here and uh, looking forward to the journey here.
1: Absolutely. I'm looking through this whole bio and I'm like, holy, what's a lot of stuff stacked up (laughs) <laughs> in a short uh, in a short time that's really impressive i'm going through it i'm, I'm thinking i'm like holy crap that's a lot i thought i've done a lot this guy's killing it like he's doing a lot of really cool stuff
0: well you know i i'm 50 now so and i just had my first kid this year so he's wow. a, a seven month year old boy and yeah. so i haven't had that complication well not complication but that joy of have, having a kid early i've had it yeah, later yeah. in my life so I, I guess in order to not you know feel like i'm missing out i've done all these other things <laughs>
1: No. That's, well, you know what? Now you've got that foundation that you can now teach him and, and share to the yeah. world. That's really awesome. So before it we get great. into today, I want to talk a lot about leadership. You've got an incredible program. I want to introduce the listeners to it and get a lot of your insight on leadership and what a, two things that a, a CEO really wants and how to help struggling leaders really start leading better. I know that you're the man to talk about that. But before we do that, we're going to do something a little different today. Uh, today, we're going to play a little game. Hopefully, listeners have heard of this before. It's called Would You Rather? And I I play this because this is a great way to, as an icebreaker, if you're in a group and you don't know a lot of the people in there, all you got to do is open your phone up Google, would you rather? There's thousands of questions. Some are for kids. I've done it with my kids many times. Some of them are for adults, business people, whatever, but it's, would you rather? And it helps open up that icebreaking conversation. So my, would you rather question today for you, Ron is, would you rather know when you're going to die or how you're going to die? so i negate the
0: how because we're all going to die in some way shape or form and mm-hmm. so therefore I'd, I'd probably favor the when to know how much time i've got to play with and mm-hmm. what i've got to pack in that in that time sort of thing
1: so obviously there's no wrong answers to this and it's what's incredible about having a conversation like this is you get to get inside of somebody's head and what they value because for me if, if i knew when I was going to die to your point. I'm like, okay, well, I know it's going to be 17 years from now on August 3rd, whatever. Right. I'm like, okay, then I can prepare and get as much as I want done. Like I've got a a finish line, but if I knew how, imagine if it was like water, that's all you get, right? You're going to die in water. And you're like, oh crap. Do I ever take a shower again? Do I ever go in a swimming pool? Do I like, but you don't know when you just know how. So uh, listeners, I, I, I challenge you to think about this question for yourselves.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is a really good point, this how thing, because we all want to know how, but the problem with that is that we only know how after the fact. You know, like this whole how-to thing, did you know how to do that before you actually did it? No, you didn't. You knew how to do it afterwards. The how is unknown. We have to work through the how, you know, and we don't know the when either. We don't know when we're going to get that next deal or that next, you know, uh, kind of opening or opportunity or, or things like that. We just don't know They're the unknowns, we can influence them, but we definitely don't control them, you know? Okay. So, so the focus, you know, those, those two is interesting. The how and the when is is interesting questions because we don't have control. But at the same time, you know, for me, time is the most important thing, the quality of time, you know? It's nice to have quantity time, but, you know, quality of time is, is primary.
1: And when we're young, we think we have an unlimited amount of time and no money, right? So, and then when you get older, hopefully if you're, if you're saving and doing things like that, the next thing you know, you're like, now all of a sudden I have, you know, I'm not going paycheck to paycheck anymore. I finally have a little bit behind me and now I just want to buy time. So I start paying people to do the things that I don't want to do anymore so I can get the time back to spend with the kids and with the family and doing the hobbies that I want to do. It's crazy how life flips like that, isn't it?
0: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad we've evolved into this knowledge economy where there's so much great information expertise coming out of people like yourself uh, to really shortcut time and not have to spend so much time trying to figure stuff out, figure out the how, because someone's already done Absolutely. it like yourself, you know?
1: Yeah. it's And that's insane and with you, man. That's the beautiful part. I believe that all of us have special stories to share. And that's what I love about podcasting is we get to meet awesome people that I wouldn't normally have. I mean, you mentioned before the, we said go that you're in Kauai right now. Right. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. Right. I'm sitting here in Pennsylvania. You're in Kauai. The other guy I was talking to is in Ontario. I've met people all over the world, you know, podcasting people I wouldn't normally run into. Right. And to have like an hour just to sit down and figure out what you've figured out in life that we can share. And I love that. So thank you for this. So tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, what you do, how you got into it, and then we're going to get into leadership uh, because I know that's a great topic for you to talk about. Yeah, for sure. So
0: basically I was born in New Zealand, uh, even though I've spent more of my time in the U.S. than I have actually in New Zealand at this point. So the first 20 years of my life growing up in New Zealand, Auckland, New Zealand, And typical Kiwi kid lifestyle, very um, active outside sport adventure, you know, and as you mentioned, you know, did well in some sporting activities. And I was very intense about my sport and I actually wanted to be a competitive international professional athlete. That was my sole purpose in my life going through my 20s. And I had an Olympic gold medal winning coach who actually said to me, he said, uh, if you keep going the way you're going, keep training, keep performing, and you stay healthy, there's no reason why you can't go to the Olympics. And when yeah. someone like that since says something like that to you, you go, okay, I I, I believe you, you know, yeah. <laughs> and I, I, want, I want to believe in this. And so I, I continue to do the training. And I was really good at training. And I was, I was putting the miles and I actually got to train with John Walker, who was the 1976 Olympic 1500 meter medalist. He was the first man to run under three minutes 50 seconds for the mile so i got to train with him in the twilight of his career when he was poaching 38 i think he was 39 he was trying to be the first man to run a sub four minute mile at age 40 and so he we were in this training session we were doing uh 400 meter reps uh so you basically sprint have uh, 400 meters and then you rest for a lap and then sprint another one i was doing eight because i was still a junior and he was doing 10 and on the eighth one i thought oh i'm gonna i'm gonna show this guy up or see what I'm made of. So mm-hmm. I, I took the lead in the, in the straight cause I wanted to win that one. And when you, when you challenge a champion like that, they're not going to lie down. They're going to say, <laughs> stuff, stuff. so we, we pushed, we pushed to the end and we finished about the same, you know, I, I gave, gave the old guy, you know, some,
1: some leeway there. Uh, <laughs> Did you tell him that too?
0: <laughs> no, 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 I just try to be humble about it. Um, and so, and so he went on to another two, and then he ended up on his tenth one, uh, straining his Achilles tendon. Uh, mm-hmm. Tendon, and he actually didn't actually end up accomplishing that feat because of that injury. It basically ended his career. And so it was kind of an omen for me. And I thought, ah, oh, but bummer, that's a really bummer. I hope I didn't, you know, kind of push him too much and and, and cause that. And so I, I kept on training, and then I I was endeavouring to qualify for the World Junior Championships in the fifteen hundred meters, and I was full on into it and I was trying to reach qualifying time and I was top three ranked in, in the country. And I'm in long story short, I ended up missing by two seconds hmm. and I got very sick, got very ill. I had a lot of respiratory problems, coughing, you know, most nights for about six months, felt like I was an insomniac, uh, got depressed, had a lot of digestive um, issues and literally I burnt out and I tried to get through that by doing the typical drinking more, eating more, dating whoever seems interested, just to kind of neutralize that that pain of, of realizing I felt short of my goal and my purpose, and I felt like I lost my purpose in life. And so I was in a bewildered phase, but eventually that numbing doesn't work, as we pretty much know, and you have to face reality and realize that you need new knowledge. There's Something's missing as to the reason why you you burnt out. And so I, instead of going outward, I went inward and I learned to meditate. I learned transcendental meditation uh, when I was 19 and had an experience where I was like, I literally walked out after that first meditation, feeling like I was walking on the clouds. Now, obviously Mm -hmm. I wasn't walking on the clouds, but the contrast between where I was, thought I was relaxed to where actual real deep settleness is, was so great. There's such a contrast that I felt like I was just floating along. Mm -hmm. And so I realized, oh man, I don't have to run five miles a day to feel like I can get into my bliss and my zone and get that endorphin high. It's already there. That fulfillment is not something we achieve. It's something that we experience. And so I then literally flipped the script on my life and went from being extremely outward to being more and more and more inward to experience that inner fulfillment. And and it was also, you know, I wanted to develop my my inner ability to to achieve and progress. And I realized that I, I lack some capacity on a mental level. And I, I now know today that, you know, most people are realizing this that 90 to 95% of our success comes from our mind. Because our mind is is coming up with these impulses of thought to drive our body into action. Right. And we all can have this kind of like take massive action. But it has to be massive action based on coherent thinking a coherent thought power you know and i believe the companies and the people that are doing well they have just a, an extra strength of thought power that drives their actions that allows things to work out better than than most and so long story short now i, I age of 25 i decide i'm going to meditate full-time i want to meditate eight hours a day seven days a week so i found a program and a facility in North Carolina, in the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina, Boone, uh, outside Boone city, city of Boone. And there was a facility there, it was a campus, men's campus, a woman's campus on the 7,000 beautiful uh, acre lot overlooking the Blue Ridge Mountains. And people from all around the world, different countries, ethnics, religions, who wanted to come there and just meditate eight hours a day. They, they had that opportunity to do that. And so, okay, I'm going to commit to doing that. We actually act, had to commit to one year. We had a three-month kind of basic program, and then we had to go into a commit for a year. And so I, I committed to the year, and I did one year, and I said, wow, this is great. I'm really enjoying this lifestyle. Maybe i just do another year, you know? And that another year evolved into 10 years because that experience of that bliss that's always there, that always will be there, was so strong. I just I just wanted more of it, you know? I became I, I, you know, a little bit addicted to that meditative experience, you could say, mm-hmm. in, a, in a healthy way. It wasn't wasn't extreme too much, even though it is on the outside it looks like extreme. it was, it was in a very um, programmed environment where we were, you know, taken care of. We don't get too extreme on on either end of the spectrum. So there was a balance there. And so basically, after ten years, I go, okay, I feel like I've I've got this inner fulfillment. To a height to a good level of development and that i now need to implement or reintegrate with the world and and be of value in serving the world with this Uh, and based on my experience so i wanted to make a very black and white um out of the cave and into the marketplace uh, approach so i decided i'm going to go to new york city which is obviously one of the busiest most dynamic marketplaces in the world. And I'm gonna get back and I'm gonna do acting. I'm I was so still used to non-acting, just being in silence. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna do acting. I'm gonna act.
1: I see I see a sense of extremes here from running like crazy to not running to acting. It's like yeah. they're extreme moves. That definitely it's it's part of my my nature. I don't recommend it
0: for, for anyone, but if you have that nature, it's it's kind of a a bit of a joy ride. So go to New York City, uh, sign up for an acting program for a summer training. Uh, fell in love with that after six weeks decided to do another couple of semesters there in New York City a couple of years 2007 2008 and it was just loving kind of integrating that inward experience with the outward experience and acting is all about great connecting so it was about how can I you know take this connection to myself that I've been working on for 10 years and, and create it with other people yeah, and cool. this in this acting illusory environment they say acting is um, basically it's living truthfully under imaginary circumstances which is an interesting contradiction and i and i had the experience actually that in that environment in the acting environment actually more truthfulness comes out because you're in a high-stakes situation um, than actually maybe you would in in real life it it brings a lot of kind of deep instincts out that wouldn't otherwise happen if if you were in that sort of environment so i really loved the the ability to you know develop the ability to think on your feet and impulses and stuff like that. Follow your impulses. And so while I was there, my business partner who had been on this program in North Carolina with me, but it had been, let's say, elevated to a more elite program in the Himalayas, he spent six years up in the Himalayas. And he came back back and we'd actually started on this um, program in North Carolina, our silent partnership with business leaders. We would meditate eight hours a day and then in order to support our monastic environment, our monastic living, food, room, food and board, um, we would get a little bit of money from them. And so we would meditate eight hours a day as their silent partner and then we'd, in the afternoons we had free time, we'd jump on the, a call for about an hour and just kind of help them debunk some of the things going on in their mind. And so, but that but when he went away, that kind of dissolved, but we kept it on a just a really kind of non non-active level, more on a silent level. They were just happy to give us money to meditate. And so when I, in 2007 rolls around, he decides to, he had to come out of the Himalayas to help a buddy who had had a heart attack up there, a more elderly gentleman. And so he decided that he wasn't going to go back up and he asked me what I was doing. And I said, well, I'm in New York City doing this acting program. He said, well, how are you going to make money? You know, acting is a tough profession to make money. And how do you make money? I said, well, I haven't really thought about it. I'm just kind of getting back into the world. And, you know, I was, I was leveraging credit cards and and some donations from from some sponsors to, to live there. And so he said, well, why don't we reboot what we were doing in a more professional way and start to um, work with business leaders and helping them and supporting them. And I said, that's actually a really good idea right now because 2007, 2008, as you remember, was financial crisis years. Yep, and yep, I, sure. being in New York City, I felt a lot of it. I felt a lot of the stress mm-hmm. that was going on with people getting laid off. And I talked to people about it. And I go, hang on, how did these really smart, really intelligent business leaders cause a financial calamity for themselves and their businesses and the economy? I go, ah, oh, they had the same problem I did so focused on that outer achievement and development and not really taking care of the inner development to really make wise decisions that protect them and their achievement long term so they can build on it so they had to go through this crash in order to learn that and so I said yeah I think I think there's a real purpose here to, to help support some of these very smart leaders in developing more awareness because it's one thing to be very smart and very clever it's another thing to have the awareness of how, your smart and cleverness is gonna impact the future and and yourself and and your people that you're leading. And so we basically started to get introduced to some CEOs and we got introduced to one of our CEOs back in 2010. And that company was a 90 year old company. And the first year we worked with them, they'd just gone over the $1 billion mark after 90 years in business, medical supply company. And end of that year, the CEO was awarded uh, CEO of the Year for New Zealand. And it was like the best year in his career so far. And he goes at the end of the year, he goes, guys, I want to have a break. I go, oh, that's interesting. You just had the best year of your career. What do you, have, why do you want to have a break? He said, well, I just want to see if it's just me having a great year or is it us working together? I go, okay, that's very mm-hmm. practical, black and white cause and effect CEO thinking. Let's have a break. So we have this break. Um, and we leave him with a question. We said, you have to work out why you won this award. So five months go by, we check back with him. He says, how's it going? He says, it's not going great. My deals aren't working and I'm extremely frustrated. And we said, well, have you answered that question we left with you, you with? And he said, no, I haven't even thought about it. He said, well, why is that important? You know? And so he gets really curious about this answer. He tries to you know, answer it, he wasn't really getting it. So he said, look, when you win an award like this, it no longer becomes just about you and and you achieving great things. It becomes you about you having a higher purpose, developing yourself to another level and helping people around you to do the same. And so he breathes a sigh of relief at that new truth and says, that makes a lot of sense. Can we keep working together? So we've been working together with this company. He's since retired. uh, And over the last 12 years, 13 years, we've been working with them. The company's now doing over 10 billion in revenue. Wow, That's And so we're working with the, the new CEO and there was a, a, an experience there with like the big leap in the company. So we started working with them, a few years passed by, the company goes 3 billion in revenue. He sees an opportunity, uh, has a vision to double the size of the company through reverse merger acquisition. So his uh, smaller, better performing company acquiring a bigger but less performing company. Goes to his major shareholders and says, guys, this is our next evolution. We have to do this deal um, to really stabilize our growth. And the major shareholders say, no, we do not want to do this um, because it's going to ruin the stock price. It's going to ruin the performance of the company. It's going to ruin the culture of the company. So he comes back to us. And this is a common CEO problem is they have a vision for something, but their environment somehow doesn't get it yet. And the reason why they don't get it, it's not the idea that they don't get It's that they don't get that that person has the capacity to pull it off. Okay. Yeah. And so there's some lack of belief uh, in in that in that leader in that leader, even though they've done well, they think, oh, it's too much. This is like another level that we've never been to before, and we don't know if you can pull it off. But we like your idea. We're going to say no to your idea, but we're actually saying no to you. And so he comes back to us and says, Guys, I know we have to do this. And 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 knowing is actually is the evolution of believing. And you and I, you know, when we've had an experience, I, I know I have to do this. We've gone that beyond sounds. believing. Believing helps us get to knowing. Right. And this is a very important point for every leader is to move beyond thinking and feeling to believing and knowing. And so he says to us guys, I know we have to do this, but I'm not getting support from the major shareholders to do it. And we said, Well, you can go on, keep debating and intellectually arguing with them to convince them or we can work on you owning this reality more fully more clearly and having the capacity and projecting that so they actually believe you can pull it off because right now they they may like your idea but they don't believe you can do it and so he goes okay let's let's do that let's work on me so three or four weeks go by we go through our processes and helping him you know really own this and we say okay let's represent this and we help him represent it major shareholders go okay Let's give this a go. And they're basically saying, yes, we, we, we can see in you that you have the belief to pull this off and, and you're selling us on it and that you're ready. So that was the first obstacle I overcame. The second obstacle was making the deal work, long hours, tight timeframes, many possibilities for the deal falling apart, as most mergers and acquisitions do. 79% of mergers and acquisitions actually fail. Mm-hmm. And despite all this, he says to us, guys, I feel like I'm the eye of the storm. I feel completely calm and relaxed going through all this this busyness, and the deal fell into place. So they evolved to a six million dollar company. They've now evolved to over ten billion, nearly eleven billion in revenues, and it's been a it's been a great journey. And it's really been about enlivening that power of the leadership thinking and and believing.
1: So, I mean, there's so many things unpacking that <laughs> I'm thinking about the, the angle we go into here. So. A lot of the listeners here, business owners, small business owners, obviously this stuff is is incredible, thinking billions instead of millions, right? Yep. So now it's a matter of looking at it and saying, okay, so when you were going through from you know being an athlete, going into monkdom, I don't know if that's the proper way to say it, but-
0: Trending word, monk mode is a trending word. It was on, uh, Inca Magazine did an article on going into monk mode. But, but how they define it is like isolating yourself, which is important, but you can isolate yourself, but have a thousand thoughts and you're not, you're oh, yeah. not knowing which one to follow. You
1: know? No, absolutely. So monk mode, and then you go into acting and then you're going into now helping the CEO, you know, go through, you said he was 90 at the time?
0: No, the company was 90 years old. 90, okay. Yeah, the company was 90 years old. He was like in his early 60s at the time. Um, so yeah, so... I, So it took them 90 years to get to 1 billion and 10 years to get to 10 billion, basically. Crazy.
1: That's the crazy part. So what I'd love to unpack is that the fact that you took 90 years to get to 1 billion, you could say a million or a thousand doesn't matter. The point is to a certain high level, and then you 10 X it in a very short amount of time, not another 90 or hundred years. So what changed in there in order to get that company to go from one level, which I thought was unachievable to 10 X of that.
0: Okay. Great question. So you've heard of the saying that culture eats strategy for breakfast, right? Of course, yeah. And that saying, so we've got, a, we've got an update on that. we we say consciousness eats culture and strategy for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Hmm. So when you raise the consciousness or the awareness of a leader, it's like they've got a better view of, from the top of the mountain and we can only really guide and lead people when we've got that view. You know, if we're halfway up the mountain, we can only guide people to halfway up the mountain, but if we've right. got another view, we can guide those people that are supporting us and, and following us up to to another level, and and also do that for for other leaders that we might be want to work with or companies we want to acquire and stuff like that. And so, you know, so what is consciousness, right? It's a it's a big word, uh, it's kind of abstract, but the best analogy that I can give you if, is the iceberg analogy, and most people do this um, they get about two-thirds of it right and they miss the last portion so we know the iceberg analogy one quarter of the iceberg is above the water and it's supported and allowed to be one quarter above the water because of the three quarters that's underneath the water that supports it so like that our mind has a conscious level where we interact with our senses and our environment and that has a certain value and then we have a subconscious, which is that three quarters under the water, which is actually more powerful. So this is what we believe, kind uh, of the the impressions that we have, the feelings that we have. We may be consciously doing something, but underneath we're like self sabotaging, you know, because of some there. stresses or ta- traumas that we're dealing with or frustrations. And and then we have consciousness, which is where the iceberg came from in the first place, which is the ocean, right? And so the ocean is an uh, unbounded field of all possibilities, right? So out of that unbounded field of all possibilities comes this possibility of an iceberg or a business, right? And so the more that we're connected and our mind is settled on that level of consciousness and pure awareness, then the more we're likely to have the right thought at the right time to make the right decision, right? Because we can have so many thoughts and in one day, but really all we want is one really good thought, which drives that whole day. Right. And all the other thoughts support that one core impulse of thought and feeling or believing whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. And so when we meditate, when we transcend and we allow our mind to go from the conscious level, from the active conscious level to the subconscious level, to the consciousness, and we experience that, pure wakefulness, which is both settled and dynamic and alert at the same time. Now, in terms of neurophysiology, what does that look like? Well, what they found is a book called World-Class Brain, highly recommend it. They studied world-class athletes, business leaders, and musicians when they're performing at their best, making their best decisions. They had a unique style of brain functioning. And what they found is that brain has a, a lot of what they call global alpha coherence. And what that means is an ability to see the bigger picture and an ability to see the finer details on how to fulfill that bigger picture. And it's where there's a lot of coherence across all hemispheres in the brain, and especially between the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex. So the prefrontal cortex is basically the CEO of you. Everybody's a CEO if they have a prefrontal cortex, right? And that's the CEO of us. Now, if that CEO of us is stressed, frustrated, fatigued, tired, we can't see very clearly and we can't therefore make decisions very clearly. So our ability to create that coherence and that alertness, because everyone thinks the amygdala is just fight, flight, or freeze. That's the lowest functioning of the amygdala. The highest functioning of the amygdala is vigilance, because it's in coherence with the prefrontal cortex, which interprets the impulses that are coming to us. And so as we're able to clearly interpret impulses, the the right impulse, the right thought, the right time, we're able to be far more effective and more efficient in making things happen, right? And we actually have the sense of believing and knowing in things rather than thinking and feeling all the time, and overanalyzing.
1: That is a huge piece there. That what you just said about think and feel. I know you mentioned it earlier versus believing and knowing. You know, I found myself often, especially in beginning days of businesses, where I always thought and felt, and I still do at Times I think this, I feel that. Like I feel this way about things. But there's been in the last, I'd say, probably. Six months to a year, a lot more full depth believing and knowing like this is the direction we're going to go. Everything makes sense. And I, I love your, your analogy of going up the mountain because you feel like, you know, like at a certain point you want to start seeing things from a different perspective, but you're only halfway up the mountain. And the further you keep working on yourself, whether it's through meditation or personal development, you start becoming more self-aware and start becoming more aware of these impulses that they aren't you, that they're patterns. And you're just like, wait a minute here, I'm not them. So if I, you know, if I'm not them, then who am I? And starting to fill in what that actually means, right? And start to build that next thing, you know, you're looking from a higher point of the mountain and you're looking. So when it comes to the knowing, you're like, yeah, of course I know the trail. I've already been to the top. You know, I've seen it all. I I know there's a knowing, not like I I think I can get to the top. I'm here. Now I can look at it and I can help guide others through that.
0: Exactly. It's almost like you've arrived in your mind and then it's just a matter of your environment playing that yeah. out. Yeah.
1: Catching yeah. up. <laughs> yeah.
0: Exactly, exactly. Because the mind is amazing. Yeah. That's why I say 90, 95% of success starts in our mind. And if we can get yeah. our mind right, then anything's possible, you know? And, Absolutely and, 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 everyone, and, and everyone can have can develop that because we have a hundred, I don't know who counted these, but they estimated a hundred billion neurons. So if we can get those hundred billion neurons firing even more coherently, and you've obviously gone through an evolution in yourself and your business where your brain is because of your experience and because of whatever you're doing on personal development, your brain is becoming more connected and connecting, therefore able to connect the dots a lot better. And so you have this deep knowingness about how to unfold things. You know, so every everyone's doing that. I mean, I, but, I, but if you are putting the effort in on your personal development, it'll happen faster than if you're not.
1: For sure, yeah. There's no doubt in that. And, dude, so you want to get back to monkdom? I'd love for you to unpack that one.
0: Which which aspect? Which what well, do you, you want?
1: mentioned about like the definition of monkdom. I think you said oh, yeah. it's a buzzword now.
0: Yeah, monk monk mode. So monk mode is it, monk. the superficial aspect of monk mode is go and isolate yourself in a room and, and focus on what you need to focus on, right? be away from the world, no distractions. Okay, great. So you do that and then you've got all these thoughts chattering away in your mind and you're not sure which one is gonna help you. So the next level of monk mode is to be able to allow your mind to be in that settled state because we, we, let's say settled, restfully alert state, right? We wanna be relaxed and alert at the same time. So in terms of neuroscience, we have uh, these different frequencies in our brain. One of them is gamma frequency. So gamma frequency is when we focus. We focus on something. It's a very excited, very alert frequency. Problem with that, it doesn't allow the mind to be that settled. And so therefore we can't perceive as well because we're focused. We're we're narrowed in on something. The next frequency in the brain is beta frequency, which is when we focus on something and we process information of what we're focusing on. Right, so there's a processing element. And so that's also an active, very alert frequency, very necessary to function in the world. Now, the next level that we want is we wanna have that slow theta and delta waves, right? And that's where we're relaxed, we're able to imagine, we're able to visualize from that very settled alert state. We're able to see things more clearly or at least feel things more clearly or believe things more clearly. And so when we have an integration of the beta and the gamma, the alert frequencies, and the restful frequencies of theta and delta, we have global alpha coherence. So you've got this kind of more balanced between the alert side of yourself and the and the restful side of yourself. So when you're in that state, it's like you've pulled back the arrow. You've if you we can like pull an arrow back this much and it'll go that far. We pull it right back, it's just gonna go as fast as it can towards the target, right? If we've aimed it well. And so that's, that's what we want to get into is, is activating this global alpha coherence so that when we fire our arrow, it's got so much thought force and energy and passion and power behind it, right? Because we have connected yeah. to its source. Yeah. The source of thought is consciousness. Without consciousness, we cannot perceive each other and anything else or function well, right? So it's acknowledging and being connected to that consciousness so that you can fire your arrows of thought and action more coherently.
1: I love that, dude. It's so true. And it's, man, it's, I know I struggled for years with any kind of meditation. It was like, I don't do that stuff. That's what yogis do. That's what, you know, it's like, I'm a a guy born and bred in the cornfields of Pennsylvania. Like, this is not what we do. Right. And, uh, but I started to watch some of the people that I respected and said, why are they so calm under pressure? They're just, they're, they're. They know something, there's a knowing within them, right? There's, there's something that's different about them. When pressure comes, they're calm. They're the eye of the storm. They're just like, okay, we got this. And like everyone else is freaking out and they're just totally straight. And I'm like, what do they have that I don't have? And when I start talking to them, it's like, well, we spend a lot of time on personal development, digging deep and being real, raw, having the hard conversations and facing our fears right nose to nose. And then we also spend time for our minds and we meditate and we think about these things and we do it in in a a disciplined practice. Now, not maybe eight hours a day, seven days a week for 10 years, but, you know, in general, like they're, they're adding it into their daily rituals. And, you know, so I started doing that for a while and started meditating and I started to, you know, I found different ones on YouTube and they were short ones, 10, 15 minutes, right? Laughable. But point is they started the process of slowing down. I didn't like to be in my own mind man, I, it, it scared me in there because I'm like, Holy crap. There's, there, there's no joke in there. I'm looking at myself. <laughs> right. And I, I'm watching the squirrel run in that wheel constantly. And I'm like, dude, what is going on in here? And <laughs> then I, th- yeah. And then just, I'd say about a year, what was it about a year ago? I call, I call it, inner, year ago.
0: I call it inner entertainment that it's inner entertainment.
1: Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that it is. It's like it's own little TV show going on in there. <laughs> right. And you're like, what is going on in here anyway? So we Uh, my wife and I did uh, Joe Dispenza, one of his six-day extensive workshops. And um, we went into that. And one of the things they're like, you're going to be meditating a lot. I'm like, well, yeah, I got that. Like 10 minutes, not a big deal. He's like, "Uh, try three hours a day. And I'm like, three hours in my head? I don't know if I even want to be in there that long. But the first day was a little tough. After that, I actually started liking it in there. I started to see little thought bubbles move through and like, and I felt emotion come up when I thought of something. And then I saw it disappear. And I felt a good, I'm like, Wait a minute here. This is so crazy. And there's no drugs involved. You know that, right? I'm just telling the listeners, like, this is just straight up. You're just conscious and unconscious. It's just, I guess, whatever. But so point is, then the, I think that was a fourth or fifth day. I think we went like six hours that day, you know, meditating. And I was like, what? Like, who is, who am I? Like, this is so strange for me to be able to go through this stuff and to enjoy that space inside. And I kept wanting to go back more and more. I understand the pull, right? You're like, it's so common there. And you, when you finally get some knowing and belief of what's going on in there, and you're like, wait a minute here, all this stuff that has been pulling me down, these negative thoughts, all they're just things that I can decide to listen to or not. They aren't me, they're patterns. And I keep saying that in this podcast, but it's so true. They're, they're like records that have been playing nonstop for the last 40 years. And I have the ability to take that record off and put a new one on. Yeah. Holy moly crazy yeah.
0: and that and that's because the brain is neuroplastic you know this whole thing can, can, can change very very quickly if you if you have the right tools and i i think you know and then what you experienced there was that the the nature of the mind is to experience more and more charm now we yeah. find try and find more and more charm through our senses but what we experience through our senses comes and goes right it's yeah. a it's a ephemeral kind of world pleasure pain gain loss you know, it's all going on out there. And we try and get some sort of satisfaction and charm through that, but it, it's always fluctuating. So when we go inward, then we go to the field of greatest charm, right? Which is when the mind's settled. Everybody loves themselves and loves everybody else when their mind's settled. Because they're connected to the heart, you know, and their heart starts flying because their mind's settled. And and that's the basis of, I believe, of attracting things, because when you are in that settled, coherent state, you have a good frequency. When you have a good frequency, you can attract things. If if you're not in a a bad frequency, you know, it's very hard to attract what you want or enliven what you want.
1: No, for sure. And, you know, when you're there, you're more clear on what you want, right? It's not just some kind of reaction to what you're feeling, but there's a deeper understanding and a knowing of what actually brings joy and fulfillment into life. It's not the stuff, it's not the material crap. It's the giving, it's the serving, it's the being, doing more than you and getting the ego out of the way and facing that and being like, who the hell do you think you are? You're not controlling me anymore. You know, I'm going for service now. I'm going for growth. I'm going for how many people can I possibly help and impact and share with in my journey however many days they got left, right? We we don't know our end, right? We talked about in the beginning, right? Whether we know when or how, but, uh, you know, it's going to be whenever it's going to be and we're going to just give as much as we can. And once that shift happens and you start realizing that life is so much bigger and better than you, then you start seeing it from a different perspective. You're like, yeah, I know what I need to do. There's not like yeah. I feel I need to do this. I know this is what I need to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a very powerful point. Getting those the things that we do control, I believe, and as probably you know, is is the what, the why, and the who, right? What do we want? And why do we want it? And who do we want involved in working with us and supporting us and achieving these yes. things? You know, and we can control those the the when and the how, as we mentioned earlier. You know, don't really have much. We have an influence over it. But we don't have much control over the outcomes. Yeah.
1: So I'd love to go a little deeper with you in this after we've gotten through monk mode uh, about how, you know, meditation, how this mindfulness um, has impacted your leadership style over time and how it can impact other leaders. I know that's what you specialize in, right? Getting into the things about what the two things that CEOs want and getting deeper into how to help direct them from more of an inner state. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, exactly. It's their inner development and it's more the ability to observe Having this what we call observing power, there's this thing in physics called an object is transformed through the process of observation, which implies that okay, if you want to powerfully influence an object or an outcome, then it comes down to your ability to have that observing power. You know, you, you would just you knowing with your wife, just having your attention on her and having loving thoughts and feelings for her, she she feels something. She she, she, she picks yeah. up on something. She goes, oh, I'm getting some good good energy from my, from my hubby. You know, yeah. so. And so we're helping them to be in more of that, um, that state, that restful alert state, so that they can discern and decide better, you know, because, and, and decisions really has to come down to what, what is truthful, you know, the truth. And I believe, and, and what a lot of what we, what we do is squeeze the, all the truth out of the situation, out of themselves, out of what's going on in their environment. Because the more you can get into to the full truth, the truth, the fullness of truth, then the more you're going to be protected and the more you're going to make the right decision and the more you're going to be triumphant, you know, in whatever situation you're facing. But if you can't get to the truth of what's going on, there's going to be complications. There's going to be stresses. There's going to be conflicts.
1: It's true. And sometimes that truth is is hard pill to swallow. Because sometimes the truth is selfishness. The truth is trying to make yourself look good in front of other people. And then there's a direct conflict with knowing what you should be doing versus why you're doing it. And I think, I know I struggle with this was actually to face the truth. I hated looking in the mirror, dude. That was one of the hardest things for me to do when I was younger. I didn't like the man that looked back. I knew all the vices. I knew all the, the struggle that was going on in my head on the outside. Everything looked fine. I was a train wreck in my head. And I did not like to look at a mirror for that reason. And I said, what would life be like if I looked into the mirror and I was proud of the man that looked back? And not in an egotistical way, but just proud of the man that's, that built a life around that bullshit and busted it out of his out of his existence. And I've been very blessed to be able to do that and and to do the inner work and to break through that stuff. And now I look in the mirror and I'm like, dude, we're, we're doing it. We're serving today. How many more people can we impact? How many more people can we talk to? How many more people can we empower? You know, and it, it just becomes this thing. I don't have to explain it to you. I know you're already doing it. Right? Just helping people becomes the best thing you can possibly do and sharing what God's given you, your gifts. You know what I mean? And being like man, it just doesn't get much better than that.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, and I like what you're doing in in your business is like you're glorifying the environment, people's environment, but how are you able to do that? It's coming from this, what you're feeling inside and and all the the intelligence and the creativity that's bubbling up on you because you are in a good state and you can see things that other people can't. You can guide them to that experience,
1: you know, Yeah, that they can create on themselves. Yeah. Yeah, It's, it's awesome, dude. So, what are two things that you think that all CEOs want? Basically
0: what they want. And and many of them probably won't admit this or even be cognizant of it. But when you tell it to them, they'll go, yeah, I want that. So the first thing is is capacity. And that's the, the mental and emotional capacity to handle anything, to handle any great opportunity, to handle any great challenge, any great problem. Um, and... To be able to even avert problems and challenges before they arise. Because it takes so much time and energy to have to go and correct things. You know, and we want to be in creating mode as much as possible versus being in correcting mode. There's always going to be some sort of corrections we're making in life because no one's perfect. But if we're spending a lot of time correcting things, it takes away from the ability to create things. And the more and if there are things to be corrected. Focus on the correcting first, so then you're purified that, and so that you can move into creating much more, much more easily. So, ha- having that, that capacity to handle things because you believe and know what the truth is is, is super important. And then the protection comes from just being coherent and doing that. You know, there's a thing in physics uh, called the Meisner effect and basically what they found is that when you put a superconductor which is very coherent against a incoherent conductor the that outside incoherence does not penetrate the coherence and it's like the analogy like negativity is a part of life it's always there it's actually there to keep us on track and to tell us when Mm -hmm. hey you've gone the wrong way and so but it's incoherence it's incoherent and negativity actually always is always challenging positivity and so the more that we can remain coherent in who we are and what we're doing coherent with ourselves, coherent with our environment our relationships our purpose then the more that negativity or that distraction that wants to throw us off it can't just it'll be always be there but it won't be able to penetrate and affect us right and so we're protected in what we're doing and so when we're protected we can continue to create you know from that because you know there are ceos often have these zero-sum game experiences, these zero-sum game achievements. So they achieve something really well and then something happens and they, they're not achieving. So it's like they haven't really achieved anything. They haven't really progressed. Yeah. Like the stock price goes up. Oh, great. Oh, but now it's down at 17 cents again. You know, it was, up, it was up at $5 and now it's 17 cents. You know, well, how come you couldn't build on that? And it's due to some lack of coherence with the with the CEO primarily because they're the biggest influence on the company. And then in their environment. And so having that protection is is a protection is not like I'm risk adversed and stuff like that. It actually allows you to take more risks. When you're coherent, you can take bigger risks. When you're not coherent, you don't have as much protection. If you take bigger risks, you're probably gonna get hammered. So it's developing that coherence to have that protection, you know, protection through coherence, through a coherent mind. Okay.
1: So if that's the case, and those are the two things that CEOs want people out there listening that either they're like, what the hell is this guy talking about? Or, okay, that reminds me of me. What do they do about it? How can they get there? So
0: so basically, I mean, the short answer to that is meditate regularly. Now, there's three different types of meditation that you'll find out there. One is uh, focused attention meditations where you're focusing on some object or maybe something inside of yourself. And that's useful for strengthening your concentration muscle. But the problem with that is it's still engaging the mind on the surface, right? Still keeping it active in some way. The second type of meditation you'll find out there is self-monitoring or open monitoring meditation. So there you're monitoring your breath rate, your heart rate, your... Thoughts and feelings, someone's guided words or music or, or something like that. And this is very useful for contemplating and processing things. And that, that's useful in that regard, but it's still keeping the mind active, still engaged and processing something. And so it doesn't allow that full settleness to be there. The last type of meditations you'll find out there is what they call automatic self-transcending techniques. And these are techniques that go beyond the technique itself. And that's really the definition of a good technique. A technique is just a vehicle to get you to an experience that supports you and and helps you. So these self-transcending techniques allow the mind, as I mentioned earlier, to go from the conscious through subconscious and get back to consciousness in that settled, alert, awake state. And so this is where we activate the whole brain, the global alpha coherence, more likely to have the right thought at the right time and so there's two techniques that do this They've found and research that have a strong uh, ability to do this one is a qigong technique um, and another one is tm translated meditation the difference between the two is they have found that tm will activate that right from the first time you learn it whereas the qigong technique takes a little more effort and time to master okay. and so and, and this is like just about every major celebrity and you know business leader that you can think of has learned tm because it's so simple it's so effortless it uses the nature of the mind to want to be settled and go to the field of greatest charm and they notice a greater depth and breadth of benefits so everyone from you know clint eastwood has been doing tm for 50 years or whatever however long he's been alive uh, martin scorsese's katy perry russell brand Um, Ray Dalio and half of his staff at Bridgewater Associates, they all do TM because it's just so simple and effortless. And they find because of that, they're able to be more regular with it because they enjoy it more. It's not like a chore to do. It's something they actually want to do.
1: So TM again stands for what? Transcendental
0: Meditation. So if you just go to tm.org, yeah, you'll get all the information on it. It's kind of like the original meditation that's got all this data, research on it, 600 scientific studies, NIH-funded studies. A lot of uh, the vets, uh, if you go to davidlynchfoundation.org a lot of vets are using TM to overcome PTSD. Um, even kids going through trauma, they're teaching TM in, in schools and stuff like that. So it's just a well-validated, systematic, natural, effortless technique to, to transcend, have that transcending meditation experience.
1: Got it. Cool. Man, it's a lot of good stuff. I hope the people out there aren't, uh, I know it's, it might seem like a little bit of nerding out, but I, I like it. I think it's fun to, to learn this and obviously you've gone through it and you're making a lot from it. So um, if people love what they're hearing from you, what, where, how can they find you?
0: So just go to newmavericks.com. Uh, that's basically a rundown of what we do. And we call ourselves New Mavericks because we are bringing new kind of game-changing things to, to the world, Uh deeper knowledge that's its always been there, but we're just kind of re-enlivening it. That's all we're doing. We're kind of just messages for for this knowledge of bringing consciousness into leadership. And at the end of the day, everyone who considers himself a leader has to be a maverick in some way, shape or form. You've got, you've got to be bringing something different. You've got to be changing something up. Um, and so we want to empower leaders to be that maverick, to bring that maverick that they are out of them more fully. By developing more they're in a capacity so that they can not only create more but also protect what they create so yeah you can find us there our book the science of protection um as you mentioned the top of the show is on amazon and i'm on linkedin and most of the social media platforms i'm about to kind of i'm actually going to go on TikTok and start building out uh campaigns out there so nice, if you're on nice. TikTok? um please support me there and i look forward to giving you lots of value
1: awesome Ramon, this has been a, an excellent uh, conversation. I've learned a lot and I've enjoyed your story. So thank you for coming on. Any last thoughts you want to bestow on our listeners?
0: Uh, I think just a simple message that, you know, whatever you're going through, whether it's great success or great challenges is one, enjoy it because it's just part of your life. It's just part of your your movie uh, that you're going through. And, and two, just remain as mentally and emotionally balanced as you can, um, because it's all going to change. And the way to do that is just have have more silence. You know, make silence a priority. Experiencing that silence in yourself is a priority. Make silence the basis of your activity.
1: I love that, and so true. And it's exactly how I got where I'm at now. Is because I finally started to face that person that I didn't want to look at in the mirror. I finally started to face him in the darkness of my mind. I started to face all that, and when I did everything changed dude i've never been so happy and so joyful in my life and my spiritual walk has completely shifted because of that And it's been, it's been such a beautiful thing, but I tell you, it was scary in the beginning. It was really scary, but each day was one step closer. It was one step closer. I said, I know there's something here. People that I know, love and respect, they're doing stuff like this. I see the shift. They have this knowing about them. They believe, and they know, like they would, they would bet their life on decisions they make. And I didn't have that capacity at that point. And now I understand how and why, and it's because I was able to, not able to, sorry. I had the courage. I built the courage up to face my biggest fears head on. And shut my eyes and be in my own mind and slow things down. And that's when things finally started to shift for me. So I can only salute this, this concept and this idea because it's everything we need is already in us. God didn't yep. make us broken. We just have to now just slow it all down and start to realize that all these patterns that are running over us are not us. They are just patterns and we have complete control over these things. It's just now a matter of slowing it down so we can actually see it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now you're, you're a great testimony of, of putting yourself through that experience. And yeah, it is initially, it has got kind of, it's unknown. I don't know what I'm doing here in my mind. You know, what is yeah. this mind? What is this awareness that I have? But yeah. once you settle into it, as you experience, it's actually huge, the best charm that you ever experience in your life is getting to know yourself. At that level.
1: 100%. And you know, the crazy part is that I've been blessed to be part of the Boy Scouts, my son's in there, and to, to be part of that group and these young men. There's one in particular that, um, that we were on a trip. And he says to me, he's like, so, like I would disappear for an hour or so and I'd go meditate out in the woods. I'd love it out there. Right. And I'd come back and he'd be like, and he'd kind of joke around, i like, what are you doing out there? And I'm like, I'm meditating. It's cool. He's like, huh. And it's, it's like, it woke up a little bit of a, uh, of a story loop in his head. Like, what is this? So we went on a long trip this summer in the middle of the Adirondacks, he's like, so that meditation thing you're talking about, think I could try it. I'm like, Sure. And he's got ADHD and like he has a hard time focusing and all this kind of thing. And I'm like, here, try this one. This one's really calm. It's nice. It's 10 minutes. No big deal. And uh, so he went out into the woods and he came back and his eyes were lit up like I've never seen him. Like it was a kid on a birthday party. Like he just like, he just walked in and this was a surprise birthday party. I said, how was that? He goes, I've never had so much peaceful time in my life, in my head, in my entire life. And he's, what is he, 18 now? I've never had that. And he's been now... Actively meditating for the last, well, it's probably at least two or three months now. I asked him the other night how often he does it. He goes, probably three, four, five times a week now. They're short sessions, sometimes multiple times in a day. And I'm, he's like, that's my favorite space to go to now. It's the calm space. It's the place that I can really process things and not process things and just be. He goes, and I don't get that when my eyes are open. So anyone out there listening that's struggling with just trying to keep some calmness, some peace in your soul, shut your eyes. Go deeper. Start to figure out that there's an entire being that's been pushed down and knocked out of existence because of all these patterns that lives down there that you can't wait to come out, that can't wait to know and believe and to guide you. It's all there. You just gotta let it happen. You gotta get in there and just take all the crap off, all the negative voices, all the stuff that's going on, all the patterns that you've been running. You just need to slow them down so you can see what's real. And once you see the truth, dude, (laughs) there's no coming back. You're not coming back from that one.
0: Yeah. It's, it's like, I mean, that's a great analogy. It's like going in there and, and, and we're just like, oh, I don't need that. Okay, okay uh, the, oh, yeah. I need that. That's useful. Throw that out. It's like you're doing meditation. is like you're purifying your mind of all the, the dust in there and, and the cobwebs and, and just having a, a new fresh space to which the thing can act from.
1: Well, you're purposefully creating that, right?
0: Yeah, well, the mention you mentioned closing the eyes, that's that's the essence of it, right? And why the eyes? Well, the eyes are the most active sense. So when we close off that sense, everything else, all the other senses settle down. Because this is the most active one. It's processing so much. So as soon as we just go inward, it's just like naturally we settle down very quickly. I love
1: it. Well, thank you, sir. This has been a really fun conversation and I uh, hope the listeners out there got something from, it. I know I do every episode I learn from, and that's, that's why I love doing it. I like to share what we're talking about and learn and grow and, and meet some awesome people along the way. So Ramon, thank you for everything you've offered. And uh, guys, you know, Take a look at his stuff. I mean, he's the real deal. He's, he spent 10 years meditating seven days a week, eight hours a day. Imagine how that might change your life. If you were to decide to do that, I don't think the wife would probably be too happy, but it would, (laughs) (laughs) or, or the bills probably wouldn't get paid, but it's a different story. You did it at the right time of your life. So, uh, but sometimes you got to slow things down in order to speed them up.
0: Exactly, exactly. You got to pull the arrow back in order for the arrow to fire faster. And meditation is for everyone. If you can think a thought, you can meditate. You just need the right technique and ideally a good teacher.
1: Hey, I never thought I would ever do it. Again, I'm like, this farmer's not going to do that. Next thing you know, I'm like, oh my goodness, why doesn't everybody do this? Because it's just the time. (laughs) And there's a lot of different types of meditation. It doesn't have to be a certain type, you know, or or a certain uh, author of the meditation, or if it's guided or whatever it might be. Sometimes it's just music, sometimes it's just silence. It really. Whatever you want it to be, there's really no wrong way to do it. It's just taking time and being in your mind and seeing things for what they truly are. Because once you see that truth, everything else changes. So thank you again, Ramon and uh, listeners out there. We'll see you next week.